Welcome back to Network 5 Emergency Medicine Journal Club. This is the final segment of the series on general surgery. We will be looking at the paper titled A Randomized Trial Comparing Antibiotics with Appendectomy for Appendicitis by the CODA Collaborative, published in November 2020 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And I'll pass over to Dr. Andy Chen to take us through this one. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks for letting me have an opportunity to join your journal club. So this paper here, it was a really interesting trial and it came at a very interesting time. I think it, it ties together some of what Ed and Sunny have talked about today as well. It's actually an early publication by the CODA Collaborative, and they published it, as you said, in November, in the midst of or at the mid or end phase of the COVID pandemic, especially in the USA where it was performed. They described their findings at the first 90 days, but they still have analysis intended for the first two years. So it's an ongoing study as well. I wanted to start with a bit of background. So talking about medical school teaching, the mantra that anyone would learn from medical school is appendicitis, acute appendicitis, is managed with an appendicectomy. I think it's important to highlight, so antibiotics have actually been used in acute appendicitis since 1940s, when antibiotics were proven to be helpful in intra-abdominal infections. They had a role in including, it's interesting, in treating appendicitis in some of the situations, such as in submarine people uh, in the Cold War. They just took some antibiotics when they had some appendicitis and they got through the war and then had their appendix out later. So to this day in the US, which is where this paper's from, still more than 95% of appendicitis is treated with appendicectomy. And it's often quoted in General Surgery Australia as still the most common general surgical emergency operation performed. I think in, in the emergency department, what I wanted to say is you've probably encountered, especially in the last year, patients who have been admitted by general surgery and managed with these, quotes antibiotics, and they came back through the emergency department and you were wondering, you know, why the, what are they doing upstairs in general surgery? Don't they like to operate anymore? Uh, do they have a new thing going on in appendicitis? So a bit of the medical background of what is known so far. In the studies about antibiotics alone in appendicitis, what we know is up to 15% of patients can avoid an appendicectomy in their initial admission with antibiotics alone after a diagnosis of acute appendicitis. These trials have been looking at improvement in white cell count, biochemical improvement, symptomatic improvement, and the requirement for analgesia, quality of life improvement, days off work, and uh, uh, just overall anxiety and pain levels and, and mobility scores. And success is always defined in these and has still been defined as the avoidance of an appendicectomy in these patients. What we say or what we know in the long term, though, is that one third of patients managed non-operatively or with antibiotics still have the risk of developing a recurrence. Usually within the first year, a mean time quoted of four to seven months is what we normally see it at or they have a persistence of symptoms, which is also defined as a failure. And probably these patients are recommended for an appendicectomy as well. Broadly speaking, exclusion is usually the peritonitic and or the septic patient with a perforated appendix or complicated appendicitis. And also the patient who has a concern for a neoplasm as the cause or a contributor in terms of the presentation. 
And these are, again, excluded in the patients we're going to talk about in this paper today. I guess another question I was thinking about is, we always start patients on antibiotics anyway, even if we do plan for an appendectomy. And why do we do that? Is this the same thing? Are we talking about uh, kind of the same principles here? And so the principles of giving antibiotics preoperatively for even an operatively managed patient is that, you know, the timing of an appendectomy is not always defined. There can be delays due to many logistic factors. The appendicitis patient doesn't just have their symptoms start at seven, come into ED at nine, have their workup at 10 and operation at 11 and home that day. So antibiotics are given preoperatively because of non-inferiority for findings of intraoperative perforation or postoperative complications up to 24 hours post the presentation. So that is, you know, you can do, or you can safely, relatively safely delay an operation up to the 24 hour mark in a stable patient, as long as those antibiotics are given in terms of those sorts of outcomes. Those outcomes decrease rates of surgical side infections and deep space infections by managing gram-negative and anaerobic overgrowth and contamination when you're operating within that first 24-hour period. So looking at this paper here, if we break it down by the PICO strategy, so the patient population that is studied here are adults over 18 or equal or over 18 in emergency departments in the US following an image-confirmed diagnosis of acute appendicitis who speak English and Spanish, which is their consent forms. The excluded patients are the septic patients, the peritonitic, diffusely peritonitic patients, patients presenting with recurrent appendicitis or complicated, such as phlegminous or abscess-related uh, appendicitis, with diffuse pneumoperitoneum perforation, or concerns for neoplasm as well, uh, which would mean antibiotics would probably not be recommended. Uh, so the intervention studied is IV antibiotics for at least the first 24 hours, then an oral course to complete 10 days total. And the comparison is an appendicectomy, be it laparoscopic or open or in terms of technique. Primary outcome studied in this study is a general health survey, the EQ5D, which I'll speak about, at 24 hours following discharge, one, two, and four weeks, three, six, 12 months, and then yearly as well. The EQ5D is a validated questionnaire, the European Quality of Life Five Dimensions Questionnaire. They look at mobility, self-care, return to usual activities, pain, anxiety and depression levels, and an overall health score that the patient gives themselves. And it's a bit different to some of the normal or the other surgical outcomes that are often looked at in surgical studies. Secondary outcomes are still looked at in this paper, including symptom resolution, adverse events, complications, including percutaneous drainage, intra-abdominal abscess formation, C. diff, particularly in, in the context of prolonged antibiotic courses, a more extensive operation than a simple appendicectomy, perforation and, and neoplasm rates that weren't expected, outcomes of appendicectomy, even if they're assigned to the antibiotic group, visits to the ED and days spent in ED or in hospital, related to the appendicitis or their treatment with antibiotics and days miss work for the patient and for the caregiver. So the methodology of the CODA group involved enrolling a total of 1,552 participants across 25 centers in the US. The context is that they, they finished recruiting in February 2020 at the same time or about this time or the next month or so the American College of Surgeons informed all of the general surgeons in America to consider 
non-operative options for all of the patients that they were admitting. And so the, this group, the CODA group, when you listen to them present, they spoke about how they were sitting on a gold mine of this evidence that they were collecting, and they wanted to get it out to inform clinicians with the American College of Surgeons about what to say to the patients that they were managing non-operatively or suitable for non-operative management in terms of what they can expect, what the surgeons should expect, and what overall we are achieving by giving this option in, in their patients. I think it's interesting in this study. So the protocol was written by general surgeons from University of Washington in Seattle, but also by Dr. Talon, who's an academic ED physician from UCLA. They speak about how he helped them to decide on the primary outcome of the general health survey because of Dr. Talon's previous experience with this survey in a pilot study that he actually performed in his center, giving outpatient antibiotics to those eligible in the context of acute appendicitis that he had done in 2017 to be associated with less hospital time with no evidence of increased complications. So this is a survey that Dr. Talon had familiarity with and that was recommended for the study protocol. Another stratification that you may see in this study is the stratification of patients with an appendicolith noticed on the imaging. So I wanted to briefly talk about this. So this is an intraluminal deposit identified in the appendix when uh, you have an imaging proven diagnosis. Historically, this is an indicator for complicated appendicitis, the rationale being that it represents a possible or usually a complete obstruction of the appendiceal lumen and then the traditional appendicitis pathway of venous followed by arterial infarction and ischemia of the appendix, uh, which is a high risk for perforation. And we'll go into what they find about by stratifying the appendicolith as well. The key findings that are presented are that antibiotics are non-inferior to an appendicectomy at 30 days when you consider general health survey. So in terms of what a patient is interested in, in their mobility and return to work and, and pain levels and anxiety. In the secondary outcomes, the antibiotic group, appendicectomy is still performed in 11% of them at the 48-hour mark, 20% at the 30-day mark, and 29%, so up to almost a third at the 90-day mark. And this was also much significantly higher in the patients with an appendicolis found. Uh, what they're inferring is that it still does represent a more complicated appendicitis. Symptom resolution was similar at 7, 14, and 30 days. But I think what might be interesting for the ED physicians is that representation to the ED was significantly higher for patients treated with antibiotics at 9%, whereas appendicectomy patients represented at a rate of 4%. Hospitalization, the number of days spent in hospital after their initial treatment was higher in the antibiotic group, 24% representing and re-hospitalizing at any point in time after initial treatment with antibiotics, versus only 5% in appendicectomy. In antibiotics, the number of missed workdays was lower. So only 5.3 mean days uh, of missed workdays, whereas in appendicectomy, generally, probably from a surgical point of view, we tell them not to go back to work in the first week at least. So a mean of 8.7 days was found. And the caregivers as well had less days spent missed from work in the antibiotic group. Complication rates in the antibiotic group was higher. This included infectious complications like the development of an intra-abdominal abscess that needed a drainage or a procedure. 
or antibiotic reactions likely related to the longer period of time they're anticipated to be on those antibiotics in those antibiotic group patients. Speaking about the statistics and the validity of the statistical analysis, so they employed a pretty sound statistical validity, so powered at 80% as usual with a 5% difference in the health quality survey results to prove a non-inferiority, which is their primary outcome. As with ED study, you know, secondary outcomes are not proven to be adequately powered. They're just provided to us for further evidence so that we can give the readers more information about what they found and what was identified in these group of patients. Not exactly a powered study to look at this in terms of statistical significance. Results reported seem to be preliminary. And by that, I mean that they're unadjusted and there's no exact intention to treat analyses performed. And in the context of crossovers, so patients with in the antibiotic group needing appendicectomy or even appendicectomy patients who, who declined to have an appendicectomy are also in existence in these group of patients. No obvious statistical methodology was performed to account for this in this paper. Uh, and it seems that they, they're trying to target formal analysis in the two-year mark uh, where they might be publishing more results and more statistical analysis. So I had a few, I guess, questions that you might be asking from this in terms of clinical questions that I wanted to run through. So what do we say to the patients now with acute appendicitis in an uncomplicated kind of setting? And what we might be saying now is that there is a new option. It's not standard of care uh, and can't be proven as standard of care from this study yet, and that is antibiotics. And what can a patient expect? What we might say is that seven out of 10 patients who go down this route can avoid a surgery pretty successfully, even at the one-year mark. And generally, they might expect that they might have less missed work days, uh, if this is important, especially they published this in the US where, uh, you know, no public health service is available. Uh, many patients were worried about their employment, uh, their income source, and their ability, if they're unemployed, to pay for a hospitalization and, and for an operation, uh, which is what they've discussed quite heavily. 50% of these patients even avoid a hospitalization. They were discharged from the emergency department after their initial dose of antibiotics intravenously uh, and then given their course of orals. 10% of these patients will probably fail in the initial phases. And by fail, I mean that they might return and need an appendicectomy. Um, and this extends to that 30% at the three-month mark in this study and, and the one-third, which is generally quoted as well from previous studies. Patients are more likely to fail or need an appendicectomy if they have an appendicolith on their CT scan. So these patients are probably not good candidates for enrollment in an antibiotic-only approach. Non-operative treatment is still associated with higher rates of returning to the emergency department, returning for a re-hospitalization, and being exposed to complications such as a later presentation with an intra-abdominal abscess or an antibiotic-related complication or adverse reaction. Again. I just wanted to emphasize that antibiotic-only approach is really only suitable in these patients that you know, are stable, non-peritonitic with acute appendicitis, which is, not, which is most patients, but not all, with acute appendicitis as well. The second question relates to our current context, which is, what about the COVID-positive patient? Is this now the best management strategy? Is this what we should be doing? And I think uh, this is interesting to follow on from Sunny after talking about you know, complications in a COVID-positive patient who needs surgery. 
there are still many factors at play, and this is a complex topic as we previously talked about. So the patient's safety and their ability to make or to understand the decision of an antibiotic choice of treatment and the recommendation that appendicectomy is still the mainstay in terms of best long-term outcomes. Uh, the staff safety. So a COVID-positive patient, as we've talked about, exposes or puts staff at risk, especially when we talk about rostering with staff exposed and then needing time off work. Having a patient with COVID positive, if they have an operation, needing a hospitalization and therefore you know, a longer hospitalization time. The risks of intubation and laparoscopy is, uh, I think, at best unclear uh, in terms of exposing the staff involved in the operating theater. What are the risks of having a COVID positive patient, having a general anesthetic and having an operation in a stressor as well, if we were to still offer them an appendicectomy? So I guess not clear cut, but what we can say is, you know, this is just an option. Something else is that you might've picked up on is appendicitis is by textbook, a clinical diagnosis, but all the patients enrolled had imaging is appendicitis, uh, not a clinical diagnosis anymore. I still want to say, you know, acute appendicitis is a clinical diagnosis. You know, we still love the Alvarado score. Still tells us what, what a clinical acute appendicitis patient presents with. I guess the role of imaging in appendicitis is probably an entire podcast episode of itself. But in a general sense, uh, what we can do is we can image patients usually safely in a stable patient, given that, well, there's no proven increased risk if we delay an operation up to 24 hours. What we can do is prove or identify patients who don't have appendicitis with an imaging scan. So it's still a useful tool in patients that we're unclear of a diagnosis for. And it does give you information about that appendicolith, which is this factor that does make you more cautious to try and treat a stable patient with a non-operative approach. In general, I guess what we might be saying is CT is probably safer than initial studies in CT were talking about in radiology and exposure to radiation. And of course, there's also other methodologies like ultrasound and MRI, which is probably not worth going into in this context. I think from a surgical point of view, a big question is what about the missed neoplasm? So a neoplasm acts in the same way as an appendicolith in terms of etiology. So it may be what is obstructing the appendiceal lumen and then going by the same pathway of an appendicolith to cause appendicitis. And if you treat a patient with antibiotics and don't remove their appendix, you may not be treating their neoplasm. So I think routine protocols still apply in terms of non-operatively treated patients to stratify those who might need a colonoscopy or a follow-up imaging to still have that at the back of your mind as one of the possibilities. It is a rare possibility, less than 1% of patients with acute appendicitis actually have it due to a neoplasm. But it is something, given the high numbers of acute appendicitis, that we still should have at the back of our minds if we do use this pathway of antibiotics only. And then an interesting question that has been raised even in surgical ground rounds is where to from here? So I guess what, we, what I'm saying is in relation to symptomatic treatment, to should we, can we even get away without antibiotics and then the antibiotic complications? Just to put it into context, people in South Korea and the previous head of colorectal surgery at Westmead posed some interesting questions that the appendix is just a diverticulum. If you have uncomplicated diverticulitis are starting to treat without antibiotics, can we start to think about no antibiotics for appendicitis? But I think it's pretty brave still to try and try that, but that's the direction of the newest uh, studies that is, um, might be interesting to know about. 
Uh, so I was going to talk about some strengths and limitations now. I think the strength of this paper is that the outcome is patient-rated. Success of treatment is what a patient defines as having their pain treated, getting back to mobility, usual activities, and having less anxiety uh, related to their treatment course. Uh, and the sample size is adequately powered to find results in the, in the general health survey. We talk about failing this treatment as having an appendicectomy, but 100% of patients would receive an appendicectomy if we didn't try this. We say failing antibiotic treatment is an appendicectomy, but we are giving patients an option to not have a surgery. And some patients really do value that as a, as a treatment option, as an, as an option if they have it available to them. The strengths of this study is that this study is one of the first to recruit patients with a, an appendicolith. The previous papers in this topic do always exclude patients with appendicolith, given its historic association with complication. Uh, and, and I think this paper does also go into why that's probably a valid exclusion criteria now, uh, but it's an interesting one that they explored. And the limitations of this paper do hold in that I think it's similar to most very large papers over multi-centers. Of the eligible patients, only 30% ended up being recruited. And by a, a, an enormous number of factors, be it exclusion or declining to participate at the time of recruitment. Something interesting is that they did offer patients who weren't recruited uh, the ability to enroll in an observational study that they also have concurrently going on so that they'll, they'll see those patients who declined to be recruited for randomization. They still are able to follow up those patients with uncomplicated appendicitis, and they'll follow up the results of their treatment with antibiotics or appendicectomy as well. And I think that's all, that'll be an interesting paper released as well. They do have rates of missing data up to 10%, which as might be expected in such a large, large study with difficulty in, in enrollment or in follow-up, especially with questionnaires being mailed out, maybe not returned on uh, in an adequate basis. So far, this paper is a short follow-up. So patients may still represent, still have recurrent appendicitis, and it's ongoing, and they still may have complications developing. And that's uh, what we might see at the two-year mark when they finally release those final results. European studies are now up to five years in terms of follow-up data, and uh, that's where most of the background information that, that I presented came from. The patients are unblinded after randomization. You can't really... I pretend to operate on a patient who's receiving antibiotics and give them scars. So maybe some of the subjective outcomes from a patient health survey are affected by this. The study in all is very pragmatic. And what I mean is antibiotic options are left to the clinicians. Crossover exists in patient selection and clinician selection of transferring patients across to appendicectomy. Whilst definitions for which patients in an antibiotic group needed to or should have gone for an appendicectomy uh, were defined. Still, the clinician had a range of their own perspective in terms of enrolling patients across if they were quote-unquote failing their antibiotic treatment. So I'll move on to some take-home points uh, that I wanted to highlight. So firstly, maybe we are changing upstairs in general surgery. So acute uncomplicated appendicitis. There is a consideration of treatment with antibiotics now. I think of note in this study as well, appendicolis generally excludes a patient from this kind of treatment modality. And 10% of patients treated even with this modality will fail 
in the initial treatment phase. They're discharged on the first day or so. They may be presenting quite early on in the antibiotic course. Uh, the second thing was that I guess the ED might be seeing a new set of patients. You're very used to seeing our post-operative complications and, and those representing with those, but now you might be seeing uh, the patients that are having post-non-operative complications and what they may be facing. So I guess what they might be facing is a recurrence or a complication from not having had their source of sepsis removed, like an intra-abdominal abscess, or from the antibiotic treatment as well and the general uh, adverse reactions that can come from a, a prolonged antibiotic treatment course. I think it's important now that we're talking about this because the pandemic, in, in, especially in Western Sydney and in Sydney, we're now hitting about you know, the six-month mark. And so this might be the time when those delayed recurrences are, will be coming through the emergency department that the general surgery team decided to treat with antibiotics we might be seeing more of those patients in the emergency department that were treated non-operatively that are returning now. It's up to the 24% mark. Number three I, I thought hard about was what in general we are saying to the patients who are treated with antibiotics. Just wanted to remind that message, which is seven out of 10 will have successful or quote unquote successful treatment that is avoiding an operation uh, with antibiotics and have less missed work days. And there are patients that will value this and want this treatment. And that is probably why they're being offered it. Even if when we get over the COVID pandemic, those patients that are going to have treatments with antibiotics alone. Thanks so much, Andy. That was a really, really good summary of appendicitis in general. And thank you for all the context you brought to that study because I wasn't aware of any of it. So thank you. probably saw this question coming, but I guess if we're saying that patients with appendicolitis probably would be excluded from an antibiotic option, what do you do with the otherwise very well-looking, stable young person with a clinical diagnosis of appendicitis? Are you going to CT this young female or not? Are these patients that we might start seeing getting CTs to avoid surgeries? I think the main point I'll just say is that if this is a patient who wants to avoid an operation and go the alternate pathway, they'd probably have to, by all the evidence out there, have to accept that they at least need a CT, probably to prove that they don't have this appendicolith, probably to put our minds at ease that they might be the best candidate to have the antibiotic treatment that they might be requesting if that's what they wanted. I don't know that we would change a treatment that's already decided to have our patient's treatment options if they decided that they wanted an operation anyway. It wouldn't probably add much. I think that makes a lot of sense. I might just open it up to everyone, um, particularly Sergey and Michael. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this study and what it might mean for our patients coming through with appendicitis going forward? 
Yes, certainly. This study replicates uh, some of the uh, recent evidence on our ability to treat uh, appendicitis non-operatively. But the real strength of this study is that it included patients uh, with CT uh, confirmed presence of fecalith. Now, uh, appendiceal fecalith uh, is present in up to 30% of patients at autopsy, and uh, about the same number is um, found uh, either on the CT scan or at appendicectomy. About half of those appendiculates are CT um, elucent. You can't see them. So uh, absence of an appendicolith on the CT does not necessarily mean that the patient does not have an appendicolith. Uh, so uh, including these patients in the study is actually a very strong point. And what it, what it tells me is that I can treat patients that cannot have surgery or shouldn't have surgery or really adamantly refuse surgery even if they have an appendicolith, knowing that 40% of them will need to have an operation. 60% still don't. That doesn't dramatically change my approach to appendicitis, but it certainly adds to my armament. I can, I can now tell the patients that, look, you've got an appendicolith, you're likely to fail, but if you really don't want an operation, we can give it a go. As far as CT scans of uh, young women, I think, Andy, I think you, you are actually really well across this issue. I, I really like your answers. Uh, well done. Uh, but it is changing. And if you are in the States, it doesn't matter who you are, you're probably going to get a scan. Uh, in Australia, a lot of it depends on the facility and the culture and uh, the surgeon on call. I uh, treat a lapros laparoscopy and appendicectomy as a diagnostic and surgical tool for younger patients. If they have good story, uh, good indications, good examination, then I will offer them a laparoscopy. And as you said, Andy, if, if it is unclear diagnosis, if, it is, if the patient is adamantly opposing surgery, then getting a CT scan is pretty safe, even in that population. On the other hand, if you've ever seen a patient who had a diagnosis of appendicitis missed and suffered that appendiceal perforation with a large abscess, pelvic collection, maybe requiring drainage, fecal fistula, infertility. It is devastating. And all I can say is that once I take your appendix out, it is almost a guarantee that you'll never have an appendic appendicitis again. I will still at this stage, I will still offer appendicectomy to most of my patients. It is therapeutic. It is diagnostic. We do pick up occasional cancer, especially in the population that is over 40 years of age. But I do know that I've got this up my sleeve and it is a very powerful knowledge. Yeah, like so I guess it's just adding that information to the consent of the patient. Because I think one of the issues I see is so I know they mentioned that Sure, the length of stay in hospital is shorter or, or the return to work, the days is shorter. But then if you represent with a 30% chance within the next 90 days, you're going to need surgery. That amount of delay to returning back to work is almost the same, if not longer, 
because potentially now the complications of the, of the appendicitis are going to be much more difficult to manage both surgically and in the long-term prospect of the patient. And so there might be a small population of patients that you can't trial the antibiotic route, but it has to be with that very clear kind of consent and understanding that, I mean, to me personally, a 30% chance of coming back within 90 days to require surgery is pretty high. I know this is a 70% chance that you don't, but the cynic or the pessimist in me kind of thinks that in medicine, we have to look at more the other side of the coin there the risk of it. And so I think a 30% chance of needing surgery within 90 days is pretty high. And like Sergei said, it's good information to have with the patient, particularly those who don't want surgery. I think if you choose those patients, you have to be very careful with the selection of those patients. Make sure that those patients understand the information that's been provided to them, that they have good access to primary healthcare, like their GP or able to return to ED in a timely fashion and ensure that there's a good follow-up routine for them because of the risk of complication. And so and that consent process has to be very clear that they, they very much understand that the risk of surgery is still quite high, not just within that 12-month period, but even that 90-day period. It's a risk of things potentially going wrong. And I mean, as, as a surgery, all surgeries carry risks, but a laparoscopic appendectomy is a fairly, you know, in the scale of all the surgeries, it's one of the lower risk ones, still has risks. But like Sergei said, I think taking that appendix out, you know, it's out and that's it. That potential or that variable in the equation is out. And then the other question is, what do you have if you have these patients that keep recurring or representing with pain, you'll eventually have to end up doing an, an appendicectomy on them to rule it out of the equation anyway. Possibly a very dumb question, but you know how we have, you know, elective cholecystectomies for patients with recurrent biliary colic and things. Is this a pathway to potentially a semi-elective appendectomy at a later stage? And is there any benefit to that? We do treat patients uh, with non-surgical treatment of appendiceal phlegmon with interval appendicectomy. Now that's standard of care. As far as uh, non-phlegmonous appendicitis, uh, at the moment, there's no pathway for that. Uh, but if patients want to have it removed at a later stage, if they've had appendicitis that was treated with antibiotics, I don't think that would be an unreasonable request. I just wanted to also say that if we treat all our appendixes uh, non-operatively, uh, how are we going to train our registrars? That's just going to be, <laughs> we'll have to invent another procedure. That's a job. I'm interested in the use of lap appendicectomy as I guess one of the endpoints in this paper. The question that sprung to mind for me was, how bad is it to have a laparoscopic appendicectomy? Like what are the impacts of that in terms of complications and the rate of those complications? The reason I ask is if, if it's a relatively harmless procedure, then is doing that procedure straight off the bat potentially beneficial compared to a patient having a recurrent intra-abdominal infection in terms of the risk of downstream complications? For me, empirically, I'd be thinking that any abdominal surgery would carry a risk of downstream adhesions and that sort of thing. But at the same time, having appendicitis over and over again surely would carry a similar risk. So I, I don't know how, what data there is on this, but in the medium term, what sort of information do you have about that sort of comparison? You've hit it on the head, haven't you? Uh, we, uh, we want to know what the lifelong outcomes of operative versus non-operative treatment for appendicitis are. And because majority of our appendicectomies are in the younger patients and they have you know, another 50, 60 years of running around with their, with, with their appendix, 
whether uh, they will have recurrent infection or not. This is the answer that is currently being investigated by the long-term studies. And I think five-year results uh, may be available um, fairly soon. Laparoscopy is very safe procedure these days. The, te- the technology, the technique, and the training is uh, make, made it a very uh, safe, but it is not zero risk. For those patients that need to have a procedure, I mean, the, you know, the risk of laparoscopy is negligible compared to the to risk of perforated appendix. But for those patients who are responding to antibiotics, uh, you know, having treating them with antibiotic therapy, that is that is ultimately going to be the question that needs to be answered with long term studies. I guess what I was also asking is, would the risk of problems such as adhesions and you know, I guess surgical complications from having an appendix removed be higher than the risk? of say those same sort of problems like uh, adhesions, subsequent bowel obstructions, those sorts of things from just simply having a intra-abdominal inflammation over and over again. And I don't know if you can answer that based on current information. The researchers uh, are looking at exactly that. So the all complications and all issues from either laparoscopy or um, attacks of appendicitis, no one knows how many attacks you're going to have these days. Uh, if you've ha- if you've been treated with a, with antibiotics and you present with another attack, you're usually going to get your appendix out anyway. Nobody's going to treat you with a, with antibiotics for the second time round. Laparoscopy, um, adhesions-wise, doesn't carry a very high risk of adhesions. It's more the inflammation, the inflammatory process. But in a mild appendicitis, in a retrocecal position, the adhesions are not particularly that that important anyway. Uh, yeah. So look, in in those patients that have been treated non-operatively, those patients need to be observed for, for much longer periods of time to, to completely answer that question. In the intermediate term, I know I can do either, depending on the situation, but I would probably still, knowing all of this, um, advocate for a surgical intervention uh, as probably the best uh, approach overall, uh, an antibiotic uh, um, treatment if surgical option is uh, unavailable or contraindicated or, or because of the patient wishes. One of the other questions to consider as well is what do you do with these patients long-term? Do you end up having to colonoscopy all of them because of that 1% risk that this is a cancer? You know, how do you mitigate that risk and how much do you tolerate of all these patients that are treated with just antibiotics? How do you rule that out? I think if you ask every, you know, each surgeon, they're all a bit different. Some surgeons live and breathe by the fact that if you do an appendectomy, you take, you have to take the missing tree with it because of that 1% risk of cancer and you want to check the notes. Some surgeons say that it's not necessary. So I think one of the other considerations when you look at this population is, well, then does that mean that if you don't have a surgery, then you only need to have a colonoscopy to make sure that we're not missing an alternate malignant pathology that's actually triggering the, the inflammatory process? In population of patients over 40 years of age, if they have appendicitis, it is indicated that they um, have a colonoscopy, whether they had appendicectomy or not. The risk of neuroendocrine tumors of the appendix and even adenocarcinoma is significant enough to justify a colonoscopy. Uh, In the younger population, I don't know if there is evidence to support one or the other. And we're talking about very small percentages and very small proportions. So you really need, you know, one of those uh, European databases uh, over 20 years evaluated to get an answer on that. And we've only started offering 
antibiotics as treatment for appendicitis relatively recently. So yeah, watch that space. I guess it might be interesting to see what ends up happening with patients during COVID period that were managed conservatively and seeing whether we do decide to scope them and that kind of thing. I just wanted to know what your take on is in terms of this paper and whether you think it's defensible now to not even admit these patients at all, like patient presents with clinically uncomplicated appendicitis. Could we just send them home and maybe either get the GP to refer them to a surgeon for follow-up or, or get them to follow up in a surgical clinic or something like that? I don't think that we have all the answers for a decision like that yet, just based on everything we've already spoken about. And certainly if we were to do anything like that, we would need very kind of, you know, robust patient selection criteria, as we've already touched on, you know, a certain age we would need to observe them at least a little bit, I think, to make sure that they weren't deteriorating over that initial time frame. And then, you know, also then have we scanned them or not, especially in that younger population group to see, do they have, you know, the appendicolith or not to see their risk of the, you know, going on to have the complications. I think that's what it all boils down to here is that, you know, that longer term data of how these patients go, but maybe an age cutoff, although that might be a bit arbitrary with regards to the, uh, misrate for malignancy, the selection of an appropriate patient for that, which I'm not sure we, we have the answer for yet. I think that it is important to, to see that the patient is responding to antibiotics before sending them home in something like appendicitis. I don't think that in a very, very unique setting when the patient comes in with an outpatient CT with already on antibiotics and already improving, uh, that may be feasible to just send them home continuing on antibiotics. Uh, but those cases are you know, very, very rare. If the treatment is antibiotics, I want to see that the patient is responding clinically and uh, biochemically. You might have to set up a specific diverticulitis, appendicitis, short stay unit for emergency department at this stage. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, everyone. And before we conclude this episode, we can't leave without doing Kit's Corner. So Kit, take it away. Thanks, Caroline. Um, Look, I was asked to try and find something vaguely spooky and Halloween-esque for this episode. And I thought, what's more spooky than sundial mottos? Now, I first became aware of sundial mottos from the podcast S-Town, which is brilliant and a must-listen if you haven't. Since the 1600s, it's essentially become a bit of a tradition for sundial makers to give their sundials a motto. And many of these, like some sundials, are really dark and imposing and quite a reminder of one's mortality. Let me read you a few. Beware thy hour approaches. Tedious and brief. Be ever ready since death will overtake thee. I am a sundial and I make a botch of what is done much better by a watch. Nil boni hodi diem perdidi which is, I did nothing good today. I have lost a day. Next time you come across a sundial, especially at night and around Halloween, have a look for the motto. Spookier than most things, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. 
I didn't even realize sundials had mottos. They're really horrible and creepy. There's some great ones out there. Next time you see one, look for the motto. I will, I and I will think really of you, good. Kit. <laughs> they're often Latin, and you can never work out what they are, but they're really good. Thank you, everyone, for making it through to the end of another podcast episode with us here at Network 5. I would like to take the opportunity to thank our guests, Edgardo, Sonny, Andy, Sergey, and Michael for their contributions to our discussion today. As always, we would love to hear your feedback and any questions you may have. You can contact us via our email, westmeadedjournalclub at gmail.com. All the links to the papers discussed today will be available in our show notes, and we encourage you to go and have a closer read of these two. To all our colleagues facing the ongoing COVID surge, we are thinking of you and hope you're all staying safe and well. And if you want to know more about the literature published in the last year on COVID-19, feel free to check out our three-part series on COVID-19 released last month, where we take a dive into the topics of prone ventilation, vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia, and COVID-19 treatment options. We look forward to being back in New Year's again soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.